Salam and hello to peace lovers, peacemakers, and those who cherish peace, kindness, and compassion. Professor Saadia Sheikh and Fatima Sidad wrote a groundbreaking book, The Women's Khutbah Book, Contemporary Sermons on Spirituality and Justice from Around the World. When I first read the title and then the review of the book on Publishers Weekly, I knew that I want these two scholars to be featured on Peace Mindedly as our peaceful bridge makers um, and include them in the pool of the peaceful bridge makers we feature on Peace Mindedly. The Women's Khutbah book is the first book of its kind to document Muslim women's courage to take steps to be heard, viewed, acknowledged, and celebrated for their contributions to Islam and Islamic studies. In this book, you read a sermon or khutbah that was given by a courageous Muslim woman leader. Then you get to know the woman through a short biography of her following the sermon. When I first opened the book to choose an essay or a khutbah to read, one of the essays really caught my attention. For the Love of the Queer Stranger by Ghazala Anwar of Pakistan. I was surprised to see a name of a Muslim lesbian scholar in the content list. I really wanted to see if they were fair and kind toward Ghazala. Their compassionate look at a queer Muslim scholar while she was sharing her love for God, her companion, her community, and her daughter with a heartbreaking twist convinced me to read the rest of the book. Saadia Sheikh was born and raised in a loving Muslim family. I'm bringing Saadia into our screen. The image of God gifted to me, she writes in the book, by my parents was filled with reverence, wonder, mystery, all love and beauty. Being influenced by progressive Muslim organizations in South Africa, she learned to use faith constructively as a woman to address justice and human dignity. Saadia is professor in the Department for the Study of Religion at the University of Cape Town and author of Sufi Narratives of Intimacy, Ibn Arabi, Gender and Sexuality. Fatima Sida, that I'm bringing her into our screen, received her early re religious education from three important women in her life while being challenged within the male-dominated religious privilege. Her paternal grandmother, her school's mother superior, and her mother taught her to persist for what she desired, even if she knew there was no easy way to be a woman and religious, she writes in her book. Professor Fatima received her first invitation to Minbar or Tribune at Claremont Main Road Mosque on Women's Day. In her work, she speaks how easily women's work comes undone, hidden, censored, or erased. But by compiling a book of women's khutbah, she documents women's achievement of something extraordinary within Islamic studies. Fatima is the head of the Department of African Feminist Studies at the University of Cape Town. I am absolutely marveled and privileged to talk with you two scholars, and I am super excited. So the first question I have here is, 
You know, here's the thing. I was pleasantly surprised to just read this uh, a book about khutbah and about women giving sermon. And at the same time, I was surprised of my own surprise. You see, because why don't we have more books like this and why there is such a, a scarcity about, uh, you know, women giving khutbah in, in mosques. So I, I just wonder how, I mean, who can tell me that why I was so surprised? Yes, Asadia, go ahead. Um, Sarah, that's actually not an unusual response. In fact, when we invited some of the women to write the khutbahs in this book, uh, there was some hesitation by some of them. Uh, and I think the question that it raises or the reality that it raises for many of us is the fact that irrespective of spaces that women might be occupying in their various kind of social contexts at this point, the idea that women can come forward and uh, take up space and have something important to say and share things that could be of value to a religious community is still things that is, is still an idea and a concept that's taking root in, within ourselves. And I think it's, it's a history of conditioning that we need to unlearn. So it's not a surprising thing that one could see oneself as the, you know, quite easily in various academic spaces or social spaces or corporate spaces, women take up space. They inhabit it more naturally as, as the days are going, you know, in, in the contemporary context. Uh, but in spaces of religious authority, is where people tread a lot more um, more gently and a lot more tentatively. Uh, and I think that that's something that we've internalized through our own religious heritage and our communities. Uh, and, and so I think part of this work is, is to undo that and to create different spaces of, you know, of opening, of expansiveness, of voice, of sharing. Um, so, so I think that, that that's not an unusual response. The surprise of your own surprise is an interesting way to frame it. Yes, I really would like to take uh, your, to understand your take on uh, why we, I mean, is it fair to say that we are not creating space for women to, to give sermon in mixed congregations and why, Fatima? So I think the, I think you've asked whether or not we're not creating space for women to give uh, mixed sermons in mixed congregations. The fact of the matter is that right now there are very few spaces for women to do that. What the book does is, is it creates a space of authority within and amongst women, regardless of whether or not they're in a mosque, regardless of whether or not there is an invitation to be in a mosque. Uh, we conceptualize at one level, we conceptualize the book, a virtual member in and of itself. So you don't need to be invited to a mosque. You don't need to be asked to come and do a sermon in a mosque. But by virtue of having these khutbahs in the book, there's already a member, women's voices are already in the space of khutbah making. And the other aspect of the book is that apart from, you know, having the actual khutbahs in it, it also has uh, templates for how to develop khutbahs of your own. So that too is a place from which we, you know, we're hoping that the function of the book is to put the khutbah making capacity and authority into individual women's hands, or individual people's hands. Anybody who wants who's going to have the book is going to be able to do that. So regardless of whether or not you get invited, you have the opportunity to do it. 
Is it fair to say that uh, women need to create space for themselves and they are not given like men do? Is it fair to say? I think it's quite fair to say that um, the way in which our societies are structured, religious authority sits with men. Uh, we think that is the way it is, uh, it ought to be, and so we end up doing it like that. We've been conditioned into it. The mainstream holds that idea that religious authority sits with men. And so all our structures, our institutions are built, designed for men to be the authorities. And absolutely, if we want to showcase our own authority, we will have to create our own spaces. So what do and you want to see? Is, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Right. The book is one way to create that space. The uh -huh. book creates the space. And Mr. Um, Sadia can also fill us in on, there are so many other spaces that have already been created. People, Women are creating their spaces. So what do you want to see, uh, Sadia? What do you want to see happen? So I think what we would, you know, we the inspiration for this book is the fact, uh, you know, on the one hand, certainly we have communities, and it's not just you know Muslim communities; it's religious communities across the board. It's actually even secular communities. Uh, the dominance or, or male dominance is something that, in various spaces, uh, is is present and is real, and people face it. Simultaneously, I think we need to recognize that over the last two decades or three decades, there have been incredibly important moves in Muslim in, in, in small Muslim communities, but the world over. And in these communities, there have been, uh, you know, kind of uh, um, initiatives to include women within masjid congregations, to create alternative congregations, to create women's congregations, to create queer congregations. And so this idea of thinking through religious communities in more expansive, inclusive, and socially just ways is also underway at the moment. So simultaneously that we recognize that the mainstream, often what we consider the mainstream, uh, to have a conservative and, and often sexist and patriarchal kinds of approaches, the emergence of feminist communities, of social justice, of, of communities committed to social justice, even if they don't call themselves feminist, is also uh, an emerging and, a, you know, an emerging phenomenon. And this work that we've kind of you know, brought together and birthed together with all of the other contributors in this volume uh, is in, in effect a way of rendering visible uh, the voices of women that exist powerfully in different spaces. Uh, but to gather this in a way that presents it in a form of religious authority. Excellent. So let's say, Fatima, that I want, it is in the book of, you know, giving guidance about how to write a khutbah. Can you walk me through, I come to you and say, Professor Fatima, please help me to write a khutbah for a mixed congregation. So can you walk me through this? So I would suggest you go all the way to the back, uh, page 213. Uh, chapter four is a practical guide to writing khutbahs, right? And what we have in there is actually three elements. We've got two planning, we have two actual guides, right? The first uh, planning guide we developed from a khutbah that was submitted by um, Professor Umayma Abu Bakr, who is uh, from Cairo. And what she did, she submitted a khutbah that we thought was beautifully presented in the way in which it began, 
created a, a context and then offered various insights, the way in which it used Quran and Hadith, and then the way she concluded. So we, from there, we extracted a khutbah planning, uh, one khutbah planning guide. And that's the first one. We call it Umayma's khutbah planning guide. So just a little ex excerpt from there. The khutbah should state clearly at the beginning its focus and the themes. Uh, with your title, this will help you to orientate your reader. So various points like that continue. It's about six steps. And then we have a second guide, which we created together with our, the, uh, our managing editor, the person who was helping us to edit the book as we were going, uh, as we were putting together the manuscript. And her name is Roshila Naya. And from Roshila's work, we extracted Roshila's Khutbah Planning Guide. And so Roshila puts this together in about three elements. She starts with, when I plan my khutbah, and she says, what do I draw on? And so she gives you an idea of what you should be drawing on, your own spiritual knowledge, my own body, my form, my own voice and my presence before Allah. So these are some elements that she introduces us to. Then she talks about what are the elements of a khutbah. She starts with planning my khutbah. What is the logic and focus? What are the themes? What are the goals? That continues for a bit. And then she says, writing my khutbah. What is the main idea? What are the key points? And then she says to write the draft. And she keeps going. And then she says, presenting my khutbah. Uh, how does my khutbah sound when I read it aloud? So she gives you instructions, guides. You know, read it out loud in front of a mirror. Time yourself. All of these practical tips. So at the beginning, we've got the tips about your content. Here we've got also about content, but more about form and, and presentation. And then the third thing we have at the back of this book is the traditional Friday khutbat al-hajjah. We've put that in. And what that is, is the, is the general khutbah you would hear every Friday. You'd most likely hear this on a regular Friday. Uh, it's all the elements, the basic sort of standard elements you'll hear in a khutbah. So we offer that both in English Arabic and in transliteration. So if you can read the Arabic, you can. If you can only do the English, you can. If you want to do the transliteration, you'll be able to use that as well. And then in the midst of that, you know, we, we say, uh, you know, the point at which you would be able to add your own content, the point at which you make a break, the first part, the second part. So did you, did you follow the same, the same route when you were giving your own khutbah? Yeah. What did, you do? What, what did you do? I mean, I mean, now what? I don't know which khutbah you're talking about. My own khutbah. Uh, the the one I don't I forget the title, but the one it's uh, on the first section of the book. Oh, so so that khutbah. I think that khutbah is a khutbah I did before the book was written. Uh huh. Yes, I adapted a khutbah that I did before the book was written. But generally, I mean, for some of us that have done khutbas, I have sort of taken a lead from what you hear in a mosque, right? We've taken our lead from there. Uh, so try to have some of the opening du'as. Uh, but then mostly focus on what is important to us and find authority for, for these ideas through Quran, through Hadith but most importantly through personal experience mm -hmm. and how that resonates in what we read in Quran, in what we hear in Hadith. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So that's how I've done mine. Yeah. Excellent. So I believe, I, I'm not sure because I read the book about two weeks ago, if my memory really supports me here. it's. I think it was Sadia saying that uh, instead of really paying attention to what she ought to say, was nervous about, oh, uh, what I'm going to say, how, how I'm going to look like, my voice, my, I mean, the, the everything about, but the content. So, uh, or... Yeah. I think that was me. I was worried about what I was going to yes, wear. Yes, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm thinking, oh my God, so this scholar in this space and knows what she's doing. She's going to do this. And yet, you know, um, too worried about all of those. Um, is this coming? I'm, I mean, just I'm just uh, speculating that this is coming from trying to take a, a brave step to do something, a brave step. At the same time, um, how people are going to perceive what's of critiques, what's of, what are the other uh, things people are going to say, all of those is in effect when you are doing something extraordinary. So I just wanted to get your take on that. I mean, how was it? Uh, it's, it seemed that you were a bit nervous at the beginning. Oh, for sure. Totally. I mean, you're you're going to a masjid where all you've ever done has been in the congregation and then you must go and speak. And you know, not everybody agrees that you should be speaking and you just don't know what effect it's going to have, the ripple effect thereafter. And we know that we're judged more harshly than people who normally would do a khutbah. So you do know you have to now think about what you're going to wear. And then you have to think about where you're going to look because... Oh, the gaze is so political in our communities and the gaze in the mosque is so political. We don't look without, um, you know, the look having a whole politics within it. So, yes, I did worry about where I was going to speaking, speaking of politics, you're not the only one. Hillary Clinton was saying that I was worried more about what I'm going to wear in any speeches than what the content of the speech. <laughs> There you go. You do that. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I, I would like to know what was it for you, Sadia? So mm-hmm. what was your experience in your first khutbah? Uh, so I think actually I just would like to follow up on that, that, that first bit. And I think b- before I speak about my own experience, I think that realistically, the reason that women worry about what they present like in a masjid is because so much of female embodiment is seen as not the norm right? So when you come into a masjid space, the dominant invisible norm is the male, the male body. And so when females come into that space, because firstly, depending on the context that you've been in, different masjids have different spaces for women. Generally, it tends to be there are women's spaces only, in which case still there's policing by women, you know, off one another. If your hair, if all of your hair is covered, etc. Whether you, you know, whether you're looking in the acceptable forms of modesty. So I think this idea of presenting yourself in a position of authority, the reason women in power think about that is because there's an invisible patriarchal norm that the female body doesn't really belong in. So we each need to figure out if our presentation meets the kind of general, you know, norm. And so this heightened sense of our physical presentation is the product of a history of thinking of our bodies as being secondary, as being other, as not being the norm. Um, so I think we need to think about it in that way. Uh, you know, I, so I've given a, a number of khutbas at the Claremont. So, you know, my own kind of history here in South Africa is that I was actually a graduate student when Amina Wadud gave the first khutbah in 1994 here, which is the one that starts of our, 
our collection. And I was a student and I was deeply um, influenced and you know moved and transformed by this experience. Why did you influence uh, and, so and move? Why did you? What was it for you? Well, you know, I wrote about this experience. Yes. Because when I watched a woman for the very first mm. time give mm -hmm. a khutbah, I felt like I came, and that's the phrase that I use, I felt like I came out of the shadows into the sunshine. Mm -hmm. uh, that listening to Amina, and Amina gave this very powerful khutbah that's in the book as well, mm -hmm. in 1994, where she spoke about, you know, mothering and pregnancy and labor as a form of surrender. So it wasn't just about women, but she used very embodied maternal images to think about what it means to be a believer and what surrender feels like and looks like through that experience. So it was something that she was offering to all of us. And I remember thinking I had never experienced a space where female embodiment was a source of theology, was a source of understanding yourself as a Muslim subject. And it really, for me, was a deeply transformative moment at which I recognized that female experience matters and female experience spoke to my own experience. So that kind of, for me, was transformative and actually got me onto a trajectory of thinking around questions of what, what does it look like to have the spiritual lives and realities and experiences of women offered to a community, to a community that includes men, women, and people who don't identify as either, but what would it look like to have different diverse voices with different experiences that are engaging the relationship to God and community offer their experiences? Because then it allows many of us to see ourselves reflected in that space. Excellent. And and my next question after the break is why did you uh, keep mentioning Amina Vadud with lowercase um, in the name rather than uppercase uh, as you know all the names that we write in in English so I'm going to come back stay with me you are watching and listening to Peace Mindedly a podcast featuring peaceful bridge makers for this hour we are talking with Saadia Sheikh and Fatima Sidat authors of the Women's Khutbah Book. There are a few programs and work to make them happen. One of them is the memoir of a Muslim lesbian, Lamia H., writer of Hijab Butch Blues. Lamia is not available for interview. I believe it's for the fear of retribution and security, but I think I can feature Bushra Rahman. She is the author of Roses in the Mouth of Line, a story of a lesbian girl who tries to find her groundings in the world. With Bushra, we unfold uh, the LGBTQ dilemma within Muslim communities. Another program that I'm pretty excited I'm working on is the book called Wanting Women Writing About Desire. It's a collection of essays uh, written and edited by Margaret Kahn and Katie McMasters. We have already featured some of the essays and writers that their book has been featured in this book. So I think I may just invite those writers, scholars, and also talk with these two women about the collection of, of this book. For this hour, I'm talking with Saadiya Sheikh and Fatima Sidat, authors of the Women's Khutbah book. Saadiya Sheikh is a, is a professor uh, at the Department of Religious Studies in the, in the 
University of Cape Town, and Fatima Sidat is the head of the Department of African Feminist Studies at the University of Cape Town. I would like to know, usually in English, we write names, uppercase, I mean, Vadud, A, uppercase, W, uppercase, but you kept writing in lowercase. I want to know why. That's simply responding to how Amina Wadu chooses to write her name. So she, uh -huh. like Bill Hooks, there are a number of feminists that do that. Um, so she's, that's her chosen way of, of writing her name. Interesting, interesting. That's, yeah, that answers my question. Uh, Fatima, tell me about the structure of the book. Uh, first, uh, how you decided, in what way you decided you would like to present this authors and this essayist or khatibs uh, compared to others. And um, I think it was really beautiful to first have the khutbah or essay and then a beautiful bio about the writer. So I would like to know what was how you select and just um, briefly about the structure of the book so in terms of selection uh, we had a much larger group of people that we were interested in bringing into the book and of course we sent out invitations and as the these things go certain people are available interested able to write and you know ready to to offer something so those are all the contingencies of doing a collection of uh, and uh, collecting works from different people. So there were the practicalities of it. What we did try to do, though, very consciously in selecting people was to try to make sure that there was a geographical spread amongst other issues. So we tried to make sure we had many different places represented. It is a South African book, so we were quite keen to have lots of representation from South Africa in the sense that it's written by two South African authors. Um, and then also it was important for us to have a representation of views, uh, of perspectives in terms of where people's own experiences were in life. So we wanted people to be represented in terms of their, uh, of, of, of sexual orientation. We wanted people to be represented in terms of race, in terms of gender identity. So those were some deliberate decisions. So just in terms of the selection though uh, I mean in terms of the of the narrative and the and the khutbah the idea there was very much about making sure that we have the message which is the khutbah but not to have the message in isolation from the person the person who writes is as significant as what is written and so we framed this uh, narrative we asked people to speak about their journey to the member how did they get to writing this khutbah? What was the process? Because like Sadia said at the very beginning, in response to the question that you asked, Sarah, why were you surprised to be surprised? Because you first had to contemplate, you first had to get past the conditioning that a woman can do a khutbah. So for many of the women we asked, they also had to get through to the place where they had to be able to think that they could do a khutbah, that they could write a khutbah. So it, we wanted to capture some of that process of what they had to go through to actually believe that they had a right to do this. And for that, I think the narratives are really wonderful. They support the idea uh, of the book and, and the idea that you know those who speak, speak from their own experiences. People come from somewhere and who they are is very much located in what they say and, and also in how they say it, in the interests that they have. 
Fair enough. I wanted to see whether or not you see we in the Islamic tradition, we are behind Judaism or Christianity because I know many women rabbis. I know many women ministers. Uh, I I don't know any woman priest, <laughs> but but I'm wondering, would you think would you would you think uh, Sadia that we are behind of those two religions, and what do we need to do uh, to catch up? So I, I think the reality is that different religious traditions all have the challenge of patriarchy. Uh, I think there have been moves. We must also remember we're the youngest in the family. Um, of the, you know of, of this particular kind of trajectory, um, but I think that I don't think of it as catch up. Actually, I think we each have a set of complexities and challenges and ways in which we engage. Um, you know, we engage gender and gender injustice in our communities, and the various ways in which we are working. I, the, the reality is that I think that communities that are working to become more inclusive are often not given spaces. So things are happening in the world. There are beautiful communities that are springing up all over the world, which are inclusive, which are women-led, which are, you know, queer, which are, you know, invite various kinds of peoples into their community, but they don't get center stage. They, they, they're happening in small spaces. They're not, they're not the mainstream, but they exist. And they exist integrously within a certain understanding of an integrous understanding of Islam and being Muslim. And so I, I don't think of it as catch up at all. I think of it as how we would, create in the context that we live in, and these contexts vary depending on where women are coming from. So one of the, you know, as Fatima mentioned, we try to get voices from, you know, across the globe. We have, you know, a Senegalese Sufi Sheikha, we have Umayma Abu Bakr from Egypt, from Cairo, we have uh, Ghazala Anwar from Pakistan, uh, we have Shireen Khan Khan from, from Denmark, and we have women from the US, we have Sheikha Amina, um, from, from Mexico. And so all these women are negotiating very different kinds of communities. And the way in which they do it is situated. It's located and it's embedded in a certain set of social and political realities. Uh, and so I think, you know, we all in different communities, um, women that, you know, men and women alike that are committed to a different vision of inclusivity are working hard and work with challenges that are quite local. Um, mm -hmm. Fair enough, but I want to challenge. Uh, we still live in a male-dominated society in the U.S. Uh, women get 70% pay compared to men, and we still have in a in 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 many many spaces we, women have to fight. So my question is, uh, Fatima, what do you want to see men do to make women feel? more welcomed to give khutbah in mosques? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I guess, so let me tell you something. I don't go to mosques. Mm -hmm. I find they're bad for my iman. I don't find they support my faith. I don't find they support my sense of commitment, my sense of faith. So I stay out of these spaces. So I would generally not have any instruction to any man for what he needs to do. What I have is a very clear sense of my own capacity and intention and a need to do what I need to do to make my experience of my faith integrous, real, possible. So for me to make my experience of my faith possible, um, 
I am interested in alternate spaces. And so I would work very hard to develop them, create them, find them, sustain them. And I think that's okay. You know, there are people who might want to be in mainstream Muslim spaces and be in mosque spaces. Um, in that case, you know, then you need to do the active work of, of the radical transformation. Uh, and that's hard work. If there are men who want to support that work, then, you know, there's a process, there's a way in which you can partner, the way in, there's a way in which you can be an ally. But it needs to be a genuine allyship. It can't be that I must tell you what you must do and then now you must do it. What does the uh, genuine allyship uh, look like? Yeah. Well, a genuine your... allyship is somebody who has a space, a mosque space, or has access to the privileges of the space, mm-hmm. and and says and begins from the premise that they want their own space to be in- inclusive and to be available to everybody in their community and not to be exclusive. Uh, not for their member to be exclusive to men. And then for them to do what is possible in that space and what they want to do to make their own space open. And that might be that they, you know, offer a genuine allyship with the women in their congregation, uh, but have those kinds of relationships which are which are organic, which are sincere, you know, which which are real. Uh, and they're never going to work if we tell people what they must do and then they're going to do it. Fatima, I, 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 I want to challenge you. I, I want to challenge both of you. I am from Iran and um, right now Masa Amin is happening. Women are getting killed. I have at least three friends in prison getting raped, getting beaten, uh, re- reporters, journalists. And I have uh, a few of people I know have gotten killed and women are on the streets because they are on the streets because the government and male patriarchy didn't give them what they wanted, right? My point is, if we don't fight, we don't get. This is the reality. Absolutely. I mean, right now, George Floyd got killed and create, I mean, this is a fight, the fight that black people are are doing and doing and doing. And finally, there is uh, there is a, 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 some kind of willingness to be heard by by the mainstream society. And then this book. So I'm thinking that really uh, with this book, we are not only inviting women to uh, give sermon or to be in the mosque space or to take space in Menbar to speak to the congregation, but also to uh, fight for what they think they should have. Otherwise, if we don't get heard, we are not going to have a say. We are not sitting at the table. Agreed. Absolutely. If we don't fight, we don't get. I think for some of us who've been fighting for many, many years, We've also made some decisions about which part of the fight we want to be involved in and what is the approach? What is our strategy? Now, the one strategy is to keep knocking on a door and ask to be let in to that table. And then there's another strategy, which is to turn around and create our own tables. Mm-hmm. And that's what this book is. It's mm-hmm. creating our own table. It creates our own member. We don't need to be invited to anybody's member. We have here in the book, this is our member. And anybody can pick this up and take it and create their own member. And so 
it is very much about a strategy. That doesn't mean that I or Sadia don't, you know, do our own work in different spaces and we don't take different approaches in different places. But this book is not about saying, let us in. It's exactly mm-hmm. the opposite. It's very clearly saying, mm-hmm. you will not let us in. That's okay. You keep doing what you want to do. Not that it's okay, but you do you. We're what the heck? Up. And what, what I do. So what, what this means that so men are not uh, inviting us on the table. So therefore, we are creating our own table. And what the heck? I mean, we, we are just going to create our own world. Right. Do, do we, Sadia, do we need men to uh, to create our own world? So I think, you know, I mean, one of the points that I've made in much of the work that I do uh, is that patriarchy and sexism is deeply uh, damaging and wounding to men and women alike. And so uh, by and large, my, you know, I've been involved, I'm in part of a community that involves men, women, uh, and people who don't identify as either as part of a community. Uh, and, you know, sometimes, as Fatima said, that can be hard work. Uh, but I I do see men that pitch up because they rec- recognize that their own humanity is is depleted by not engaging women fully. Um, and more and more, I'm hoping that we're going to be growing those kind of young men in our communities that see gender justice as integral to their own dignity. Uh, it's not something they're doing or extending to women as some kind of graciousness or generosity. It's about a fundamental expression of their own humanity means that they can take every human life as seriously and engage the dignity and the full capacity of every human being. So I think there's a space, uh, a very important space, a transformative space for us to be engaging men and women. And, you know, I'm, I'm a mother of a young woman and a young man, and I'm hoping that the ways in which I raise them in community and in my home allows them to both recognize the importance of them engaging men and women uh, and human beings, you know, fundamentally, inclusively in their communities, in whatever political work they do, in their, their, their personal lives and all of that. And I think there's a, there's a kind of intimate interweaving between spirituality and politics that we need, that we've tried to to make visible in this book. This is, this uh, is very good. So this is a very interesting point that uh, uh, intertwine spirituality and politics. And I was just explaining earlier that honestly, this is not only that, I mean, the book itself is amazing and I am pleasantly surprised and I love it. Um, I would like to know what is uh, your next project, if you can make this brief and then we go to the end of the program. So is there any project that you are working on and you would like us to know? Sadia, go ahead. Um, thank you, Sarah. I am working on a project on Muslim uh, Muslim ethics at the moment, and I am uh, kind of writing about Islamic feminism as a friendship within tradition. Uh, and I'm kind of theorizing that for the moment and thinking about what that would look like. And I think that part of this is, you know, I mean, I, I just want to revert to your to your point that we have a whole spectrum of different kinds of Muslim communities. And we work strategically in ways that both are responsive and need to be reactive to a specific context and the demands and the constraints and the violences of a particular context. And in that context, we work strategically and pragmatically in ways that are effective. In other contexts where there is spaces to create different kinds of communities, we do that. Uh, And so I think this work of both 
critically engaging things that are deeply problematic and resisting them is part of the struggle. And the other part of the struggle is imagining different spaces, setting different tables, inviting different peoples to different kinds of food at different kinds of tables. Excellent. And so I think that's the work broadly that we do in different spaces that must be responsive to this spectrum of ways in which Muslim communities exist. And so the context of Iran is, of course, very different from South Africa, which is very different from the US, which is very different from Pakistan. And in all of those contexts, there are fights and then there is, you know, invitations uh, and we, we work within those those kinds of that bandwidth. Excellent. Very good. Uh, Fatima, any project so, that you're working on right now? Yes. So um, one of the projects I'm working on right now is um, a project on uh, two projects. But the one is it's called Writing from Experience. And this is a project to bring a group of uh, South African uh, Muslim women together to write about their experiences of Islamic law. And it's based on the idea that law is experience. Uh, while law might be what we see in law books and in legal manuals, the reality of law happens in the experience of it. So that's one small project which we're doing here with a group called the Muslim Personal Law Network in South Africa. And then a um, second project is trying to bring my, uh, my dissertation work into a manuscript, and that is about legal subjectivity, essentially speaking to how or investigating how the law conceptualizes what it is to be a woman, some basic questions around who is the female subject of Islamic law. Excellent. So. Excellent. Thank you so much. You are watching and listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast featuring peaceful bridge makers. Saadia Sheikh, a professor of the Department of Religion Studies at the University of Cape Town, and Fatima Sidat is the head of the Department of African Feminist Studies at the, at the same university, University of Cape Town. They are my guests and the author of the Women's Khutbah book. It's a signature for our show to ask our guests to share something meaningful about peace, kindness, and compassion. And I would like to start with Fatima this time to tell us about whatever you would like to share. It's just maybe statement, something from book or story, whatever you think that we can close the program with something positive, peaceful, loving, and compassionate. Thank you, Sarah. Um, so I worked with the idea of love. And there's a phrase that there's a quote from an Icelandic scholar, which when I first read it really sort of blew my mind in terms of an analysis of patriarchy, of capital, and where love fits in all of that. Um, and I'll say it and perhaps just speak a moment to it thereafter. The scholar is uh, Anna Jonas Dottir. She's an I Icelandic feminist, and she works in this area called love studies. It's about how patriarchy continues in societies which have formal and legal equality, right? With this dialectic concept of love, the quote is, she, she says, if capital is accumulated, alienated labor, then male authority is accumulated, alienated love. Now, I find that a very, very powerful statement. It helps us understand, I think, 
the ways in which love features in our own alienation, uh, the way love features in our own impoverishment. And that's, it's sometimes, it can be a lot to wrap our minds around. But um, as feminist scholars or feminist thinkers and activists who are interested in understanding the world more broadly than, you know, through a sense of what happens only to, to women, if we understand this as a sense of what happens to all people, that is in the, in the ways in which love works in the world, that we can be alienated from ourselves, that we can be alienated from um, just from mostly from the goodness within ourselves, and that patriarchy works in that way. It alienates us from these essences of ourselves, regardless of who we are. Therefore, we need women <laughs> to to soften soften the dialogue. Excellent, beautifully said. Thank you so much, Fatima uh, Saadia. Go ahead. So it's actually really interesting, you know, neither Spatima nor I spoke about what our fi- final reflections would be. We just got the, the note from you that we should think about it. And actually, uh, so there's a wonderful synchronicity about this. I'm actually going to read a little prayer from my my Sufi teacher, Chef Baal Mohyeddin, on love. Um, and so it starts. We have to learn what kind of love we must offer to God, what kind of love we must have in our lives and what kind of love we must have for other, for other human beings. Our love must be like the flower and its inseparable fragrance. Just as the fragrance and the flower are one, our soul and God's mystery mingling together is love. The ray of our soul's light falling upon God's light is love. Devotion to God is the surrender of our wisdom to God's wisdom, of our qualities to Allah's qualities. The love that we should have is the love which looks at everything through Allah. We must discover the love inside each and everything we see. Inshallah. Thank you so much, ladies. Really appreciate. And uh, it was a beautiful discussion. Thank you so much. Khuda Hafiz. Allah Hafiz. Khuda Hafiz.